Thank you to those that are joining us here, as well as those that are online. Um, I'd like to mention that the Acts Reformed Church family is uh, grieving together with the Ramirez family, or, or Ethan, uh, Eric, who we'll start speaking. Uh, his mother passed away this past week, so um, we are grieving with the family, and know that we are praying for you, brother. Uh, during these times, it's a reminder of how fragile our life really is, and Several of us have experienced death in the family within the last few months. It's very difficult. And during those times, the church, Christ's body is here to be able to grieve with, to be with, to serve uh, those that are suffering in the midst of that time. So to the Ramirez, please know that we are with you, our brother. So this morning we continue our study in the book of Philippians. We come to a passage in which Paul is now addressing the church of Philippi after having told them that they are to imitate Christ. Uh, they are to see how Christ was humble, humiliated, and exalted by God the Father. And then in light of that, he's giving some instructions. So we're going to continue in that encouragement, in that admonition this morning, what those instructions are, and what those warnings entail. So if you are able, please uh, turn, stand and turn your Bible to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 14. And we will take five verses today. Although, uh, in the preparation, as I finish this study, two of those last verses uh, were not able to be in the study because they're just uh, so much to to look and expound upon. But nevertheless, we'll, we'll take a look at the passage 2, 14 to 18. It says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. For your word is true, Lord. Recognizing that we live in a fallen world, we experience pain, we experience loss, hardship, grief, and at times it may seem that this wicked world in which we live has no hope. But Lord, knowing that you are King of kings, Lord of lords, we know that abiding in you is not done in vain. We know that hoping in you is not in vain. I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit give us a conviction to depend and trust in you during these times, during the times that this country and this world is living through, knowing that it's for a purpose, that we may turn to you, we may repent, that we may stand in your truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the sermon of this title, uh, the sermon title for today, just as the script the scripture says, taken right from the text. It's going to be to be light in a crooked and twisted generation.
generation. We are continuing to see how Paul is exhorting, admonishing, and encouraging the Philippians in order to show the evidence of them being children of God. In doing so, we are coming to the illustrations that there is no such thing as the Christian life in theory only. The Christian life needs to be visible, it needs to be tangible. Last time we saw that our salvation needs to work itself out in the way that we live. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because it is God, the one who empowers us to be able to live the Christian life. He empowers us to will. That means the desires of us wanting to do God's will. And then he empowers to do, to come through and actually be obedient. Those would be genuine good works, empowered by God. So today... As we continue in that encouragement, in that exhortation by Paul, there is additional instruction. And that is that the Christian life will be distinct to the life of the wicked and twisted generation. There's an old self which was part of the wicked and crooked generation. And now there's a new self. We are reminded of that in Ephesians 4, verses 22-24, which says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and may be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So the idea of becoming renewed, to putting on the righteousness of God, so that we can live righteous and holy before a holy God. Now that is the exact opposite of what a wicked and crooked generation lives by. So as we expound upon this passage this morning, let us consider two things. First, what does it mean to be like? In a crooked and twisted generation? And am I being light? If I am a child of God, am I being the light? Or am I going right along with the darkness? So in order to see what Paul is telling us then, which he told the Philippians, and this applies to us more than ever, we're going to be looking at this in two points. We had a two-point sermon for a couple of times, we're coming back to three points. And incidentally, it's as easy as A, B, C. One, two, three. A for attitude. Is our attitude genuine in obedience or is it fake obedience? And B, biblical discernment. What constitutes a perverse generation? How do we know that? What's our standard? And then following that, consistency. Where do we ground our judgments and our actions? And are we consistent with what we believe in? Attitude, biblical discernment, and consistency. So let's take a look at the first verse that deals with the attitude. Is it fake obedience, or do we have genuine abiding in the Lord? Philippians 2, and the first verse are uh, 14, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
That is a straightforward command. The context here, let us remember, Paul has just told the Philippians that they are to work out their own salvation. Okay? That's the context of this. They are not to earn, not to work towards their salvation, but to work out the salvation that they already have. This is going to be a way of showing fruit in the life of a Christian. It is God, remember, it is God who makes us will and do that which is pleasing to Him. So in light of that, Paul is now saying, do those things without grumbling and complaining. Right? That's what he's referring to. Show obedience, show good fruit, and do it with joy, not with grumbling or disputing. Those two words, grumbling and disputing, Make sure that we know what that means. Grumbling, it means just that, grumbling, complaining in the Greek, to complain. Another verse that uses that very word is 1 Peter 4 9, which says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, without complaining. We are to serve one another. And then the other word, dispute, without disputing, in the Greek, it means thoughts. Certain thoughts, certain reasoning in a way that you want to argue against something that you've been told. Do I really got to do that? Let me try to justify myself out of that. Disputing. There's two verses that have that same word. And it's translated as thoughts, but it's the same attitude. Disputing, trying to get out of that. Having a... a, a um, a discussion in disagreement to what you're being told. First one is in Matthew 15, 19. It says, Jesus talking, he says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. And then in Luke 5, 22, it says that when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? So that's, that's the context of that word. To dispute, to have thoughts of rejection to what you're being told. And when we realize the context, when our wicked heart has a, a response of rebellion, of not wanting to do what we're being told, the context is, I don't want to do what God's telling me. And I'm going to try to reason my way out of it in order to justify myself. Paul says, don't do that. Be obedient. Don't grumble, don't dispute. Obey, show fruit in your life. So then we start to see the point that to be light in the world, we first need not to look how bad others are doing, but how am I doing? Am I abiding? Am I submitting to the authority of God? Am I being obedient? Am I showing light and fruit in my own household, in my own life? We need to check ourselves first. And we need to do that without complaining or putting excuses of why we're not obeying God. Okay? So that's the first way in which we can be light in the midst of a wicked world. How am I doing? Alright, which takes us to the second point. Biblical discernment. What constitutes a perverse generation? Philippians 2.15 That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, 
among whom you shine as lights in the world. So those who are children of God will be blameless and innocent from any judgment from God. When we sin, we will repent if we are children of God. The Holy Spirit will not let His child go astray, stay in rebellion. A child of God cannot wallow in sin like a pig wallows in mud and likes it and wants to stay there. The Holy Spirit will not let a child of God do that. Because God's children live in the world, right? As we, are, we go to work, go to school, we do our labor. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 reminds us of that. It says, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. A reminder that we are passing by this world. We're not from here. Everything from here, all the desires of the flesh, the treasures of this world are going to burn. We are not from here. We're passing through. So this is the type of living that will keep a Christian without blemish, pure, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So now we're going to dedicate a little bit of time to see what this means. A wicked and twisted generation. The way that we know what that is, is by exercising biblical discernment. In the Old Testament, when David was about to take the throne as king, there was much tension with his predecessor, Saul. And in those days, there came a group of men that supported David and wanted to ensure that he got to the throne. First Chronicles chapter 12 describes that, and in describing that, there's a particular leader, his name was Issachar, who had men under him, and they joined in support of David. Issachar was the ninth son of Jacob, and the fifth son of Leah. In First Chronicles 12.23, very famous verse that says the following, of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, 200 chiefs, all the kinsmen under their command. So this is military terms. <clears throat> and these men understand the times. They know what's going on in Israel. They know where they stand and where they need to go in order to be wise according to God's word. These men understood the times and correctly perceived the main issues of the day. That's very important. Because we must be able to do the same today. We must be to accurately perceive the main issues of today in order to act biblically. So then, biblically discerning is knowing what a wicked and preserved generation is, what they are doing, and where they're planning on going. 
Now, the very identification of this, just the fact of what I'm about to state, of where we stand, that itself could be very offensive. And it will be offensive. Primarily to the world, but also to many who are in the church who call themselves Christians. And that's not even taking a stand. That's just saying, this is where we are. This is what the world approves of. This is what they're cheering for. And this is the people that are doing it. Let alone if I tell you what the Bible actually says about these things. Okay? So then the question is, today, in 2021, our generation, our culture, what are its main values and so-called virtues? What are those? I will summarize those, mentioning three things. One, the sexual revolution of our day. Secondly, the fixation on critical race theory and intersectionality. And third, the idol of self. I have a right not to be offended. So first, sexual revolution. We already saw the redefinition of marriage. That's all news. Past and gone. That, that both has self. So that definition has been corrupted, but now what's next is the normalizing of polygamy. Ladies and gentlemen, that is here. Okay. In Cambridge, Massachusetts, home of Harvard University, MIT, and a lot of scholarly elites, which by the way, a lot of this nonsense originates in what supposedly are the most educated people. You ever notice that? Some of the most foolish ideas I've heard is in graduate school. The most idiotic, nonsensical ideas, morally speaking, are discussed in the highest echelons of academia. In any case, Cambridge City Council has decided to become the second municipality in the U.S. to legalize, quote, domestic partnerships between three or more people. That's right. So the second music, that means the first one was already there in Somerville. And that was July of last year. Now, all this is done by unanimous vote. People are cheering and approving of these things. Remember what scripture says not only those who practice such things, but those who approve of such will also be judged. 1 Corinthians 6. Let us remember that, okay? So that's one thing. Now, next, that it's also within sexual revolution, the redefinition of what a man is and what a woman is. The LGBTQ plus agenda is summarized, is summarized as follows, basically. Your gender is whatever you want it to be, and others have no right to discriminate. No right. That includes men playing in women's sports, boys or men going into girls' locker rooms and bathrooms, so this is basically not only a rejection of God's design and truth, but a denial of reality. This is no longer, you know what, they are gone, let them do what they want, and I'll just do my own thing. It's not, it's not even longer that. It's no. I live in an alternate reality, and you have to approve of what I'm doing and agree with what I'm doing and call me the names that I want, otherwise you are offending that's basically what we're at. 
Under that umbrella, sexual revolution is denying parental convictions. Parents cannot object to their kids' gender dysphoria or confusion. This involves advocating for hormone blockers at very young ages, and then follow with surgery later on. I don't need to be more specific about that. This is advocated for at the highest political positions in our country today. Lastly, under the cultural sexual revolution is a celebration of death, a culture that loves death. Celebration of and promotion of abortion at all costs. If you oppose to that, you are denying them of their rights. Next, fixation of critical race theory and intersectionality. I've talked about this before. In a nutshell, this is what that means. Summarizing what we're seeing in our country today, that basically is that the United States, at its core, is racist. If you disagree with that, you are part of the problem. You are a racist yourself if you disagree. Along with that is victimhood. The more subcategories and protected groups that you belong to, the more virtue you have. The top oppressor is a white Christian straight man. You're the top oppressor. You have no say, you're at the bottom of the ladder. Now interestingly, and I say this because I've been told this, I do not fit in that intersectionality up in those ranks because you would think, well, I'm an immigrant, born and raised in a different country. But because of my ideology, I'm actually a fake Hispanic. I don't fit in intersectionality because I don't agree with the agenda. So I'm really not Mexican. That's what I've been told. Critical race theory and intersectionality. Next would be the right not to be offended. The idol of self. Leave me alone. And... If you disagree with me, I'm not going to engage in, in an ideological exchange of ideas. We're actually going to cancel you. We're going to abuse you publicly, expose you as a bigot, as a racist, as a homophobe. And if need be, we'll turn to riots and into violence. Some examples of this is people losing their jobs over their moral, religious, or political convictions. And note this, not if they express them, but if they simply say, I don't agree with that, you can do what you want, but I, I don't think that's right. You're an offender already. Because you dare to say that you don't agree. And then the other application of that is censorship. We will censor you. Countless Christians and or conservative speakers being uninvited or rioted out of college and university campuses because their speech is hateful and harmful. I've been at some of these events. And there is no reasoning, there is no trying to reason or debate. No, there's none of that. Get out of here. That's the only available solution. For those that disagree with the mob, to shut up. No room to engage in the marketplace of ideas. Now, you may ask yourself, 
wait a minute, how is this relevant? This, this rant that Gerard is going on? What does that have to do with preaching from the pulpit? Everything. Everything that the Bible stands for has to do with this. I've always told our congregants that I will preach whatever is next in the text. Today it says to be light in a wicked and crooked generation, in a perverse generation. If there was ever a perverse and wicked generation, we're living in it right now. We would put Sodom and Gomorrah in shame. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We are less and less being able to appeal to the lost of the land in order to guard our families, in order to guard our churches, in order to guard our children. Why? Because the elected officials in power are the primary advocates of this nonsense. I'll give you a couple examples. Number one, the proposal of Congress to eliminate the words mother, father, daughter, son, and quote, any other related family terms within their documents. So, appointing lawmakers and administrators in the highest positions of government who not only live, but approve and want to force this type of lifestyle on others. Example number two would be going back to 2015 when Justice Anthony Kennedy, when writing the majority opinion of the overhead over Geffel uh, case, legalizing sex uh, marriage, he said that refusing to legalize that would be, quote, dignity harm to those that are in those relationships and their children. Now, even from a point of view of someone who doesn't even believe the Bible, that could just say, you know what, I'm just going to mind my own business, let people do as they please, and I'll do my own thing. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's a commentator who's not even a Christian, and this is his take. I'll summarize it. He says, you can try to hide from these attacks. You can run away from them, attempt to ignore them, pretend these people have reached some sort of quasi-consensus in which to live and to live. That will last until the protesters are outside your business, the government regulators are outside your house, or the administrators are inside your child's classroom. Then you'll realize that while you were willing to let live, they simply were not. Understanding the times. If there was a time where we need to understand the times, it would be right now. Why? Because we are called to be light. We cannot be light if I don't know where the darkness is. If I don't know what the darkness is. So we need to, able, we need to be able to know where our culture stands. What they value and why they value it. As we briefly have seen, this generation indeed promotes what they think is virtuous. 
but it's everything that God needs. The abandonment of God's design and his moral law is a recipe for disaster. And that's why I think that we are already living in judgment. And unless we repent, it's not going to be any better. We think that we're special because we're a Christian. We're not a Christian nation. Absolutely we're not. We were founded on Christian principles, yes. But we're not a Christian nation. We are a wicked and crooked generation. That's what we are. So we need to stand up. We need to speak up. We need to stand for the truth of God. There's not a way to be like the world if we shut up and say nothing and say, well, that's not my business. The words of Jesus, Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16, says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You cannot be light to the world if you hide yourself. Can you do that? We need to understand the time so that we can be light. So then, thirdly, consistency. What are our convictions grounded on? What are our beliefs, our convictions grounded on? And are we being consistent to live according to ourselves? Philippians 2.16, the next verse says, Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So what standard is the wicked and crooked generation use? Materialism, secularism, cultural Marxism, humanism, all under the umbrella of what they call progressivism. And it's ultimately, really the underlying common denominator is subjectivity, moral subjectivity. Whatever a group of people decide, raise their hands so that it's good for the time, that's where they're, they're going to go. They will do what is right in their own mind. Scripture also talks about that and where that leads. The way that seems right to man, right, seems right, but then at the end is the way of death. They have no food to stand on. It's subjective morality. But where is the Christian who is to be the light in that world? What standard do we use? According to what? Be light, be good. According to what? Because they think they're doing good. According to what? Well, we need to be good, not according to whatever is progressive to whatever it is that the cult. There's no such thing as progressive Christianity. That is heresy. It's damnable. We go by what Scripture says. In all instances of anyone identifying as liberal Christian or progressive Christian, at the root is a false understanding of the gospel. Every single time. Always. Rather, we are to hold fast to what the scripture says here, to the word of life. Will you be like the world in the crooked and wicked generation? It says to hold on fast to what? To the word of life, to the Bible. Anything else will sweep you away. John 17, 17, Jesus speaking, says, Sanctify them in the truth. 
Your word is true. And then 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 gives us a standard. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the men of God may be completely equipped for every good work. So Paul then, with a pastoral heart, with a fatherly heart, is telling the Philippians, in order for you to do that, you're going to have to abide by the word. You're going to have to hold fast to the word. And then Paul says, in turn, you'll make me proud. And that's not speaking in boasting in a way that he's going to be proud of him. No. But boasting in the Lord. Paul talks about that. Boasting in nothing else but the Lord because of what God has done. And Paul is saying, if I see that, like, I'll be proud of that. I know that my labor was not in vain. And there is, there is such great comfort knowing that all we do for Jesus, what we, what we speak for Jesus, the way we live for Jesus, even if we are canceled, even if we are protesting here, it's just a matter of time, I guarantee you, or before I compromise my own job, because they are woke, that will never be in vain. That's what we're promised in Scripture. We're not promised safety, not health safety, not safety from keeping my job or my livelihood, but safety in the arms of Christ, knowing that my job for him, your job for him, will never be in vain. 1 Corinthians 13, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in so then what can we say being light in a wicked world let us remember it begins not by looking at the wicked generation and coming coming with them with my own judgment on them. I need to first realize where am I where am I standing I warn you that could easily lead to self-righteousness. I've been there. And I need to guard myself from that constantly. Because before looking at others, before looking at myself, I want to start judging others. Then we become those that want to be able to take the speck out of my brother's eye, right? Like Jesus says, without knowing that I have a long in my eye. We need to self-analyze ourselves. So God's judgment in these matters does not begin out in the world. It begins in His church. It begins with us. And in this, many churches have failed already. Pastors have joined hands with the crooked and wicked generation because they're afraid of getting canceled. They're afraid that their mega church will become smaller or their small church will become even bigger if they preach the word says. Instead of standing up to that wicked generation, they're going right along with them. And fighting for their degenerate causes. So it starts within the church. How are we doing? Secondly, being light in the world is not passive. We cannot just sit here and say, well, I'm a Christian. And I'm going to be light. I'm going to stand here. No, we need to go to where the darkness is. 
not only about being in the defense, being on the offense. And this requires constant work, engaging and understanding the culture, speaking about these matters to our children, first and foremost. Because ultimately, although the world is wicked and they can influence my children, at the end they are my responsibility. The buck stops with me at my house. And for that, we need to be rooted in Scripture. And then lastly, being light in the world that requires us speaking and exercising the truth in our own lives. For example, it's like the question, am I being light? Okay, I, I do. I acknowledge that I have my own sinful desires, my own sinful deeds. Am I repenting? How is my witness within the church and to the outer world? And remember this, as we are witnesses to the world, as we speak up against the wicked and perverse generation, that's going to be offensive. Because in our human nature, when we are called out in something that we're thinking of incorrectly, unbiblically, we're not being consistent with scripture, our first impulse is to say, oh, I'm actually right. That's our first impulse, to deny that we're doing anything wrong, or that we're thinking of something wrong. Same thing is out in the world, and even more. When we speak about decisions, it will be offensive. But the warning here is that let the gospel, let the Bible be offensive and not us. And that's again something that I've struggled with many years. Or even though I might be holding the biblical position, my sinfulness gets me there. So that's a constant reminder for all of us. So then, we need to show grace. We need to pray for our generation. We need to pray for all those who are trapped in this mentality. And remember, more than anything, that we were rescued from that wicked and perversion. I was rescued. Only by God's mercy and grace am I able to see the degenerate thoughts and actions of my own life. Only because of God's grace. It's not because I'm smart. Or because I'm special. Even being the most wicked, probably around all of the people that surrounded me, God chose me, He saved me because of His grace and mercy. Not because of anything you did, but because God was merciful to you. He extended love and grace and mercy to you. In such manner, then, we should extend that to others. Not compromising the truth, preaching repentance, letting others know that there is forgiveness, that the true identity is in who God says it is, not in what identity they say they grab for themselves. So that they can be reconciled with a loving, with a gracious father that wants to reconcile to them. So for a reminder, that's the gospel message. We didn't stay condemned. And we should show that same love to them so that they can be saved. So that they can be escaping the snare of the devil that they're in. So that they can believe. But they won't believe unless we speak to them, unless we show them. So I'll close with this. A reminder from 2 Timothy 24-25. How are they with God? Here it is. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, 
but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Brothers and sisters, this, this is a matter of life or death. The wicked generation that we're living in, if we don't stand firm, it will sweep you away. You are not neutral. You're either fighting and standing against it, or you're going with it. Let us be aware of that, and may God help us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, because you have rescued us indeed from this perverse, evil, wicked, degenerate culture and generation. I pray that you may give us a conviction or the strength, the will to stand against it, to stand for you, to stand with you by the truths that you reveal to us in your word. And Lord, if we have doubts or if we are in that generation and we agree with them, forgive us, Lord. Give us repentance that we may turn and find life and truth, hope in you and your forgiveness. Because you love us. You be with us, Lord. Even this day, this week. That by your power, we may be able to be light in this dark world. In Jesus' name.